Amen. Good morning. Hey, if you, if you guys don't know, we have baptism that we will do after um, preaching. We have a baptism this morning. And uh, so I'm going to try to remember to make this announcement a second time. We have a lot of our kids will come up and they're going to be seated everywhere up here because we like for them to uh, be a part of baptism. Parents, if any of those kids are your kids, um, make sure that they go back downstairs uh, at the end of the service. You cannot have them yet. Uh, for safety reasons, for security reasons, please don't let your children join you. Go downstairs as usual and pick them up. Um, so I'm going to try to remember to make that announcement again. I know kids see you and they're like, yes, let's go. Um, and you were like, man, it'd be a lot easier if we could just go now, but please um, don't do that just for safety and security. Um, go back downstairs, send them back with their teachers. Okay. We are wrapping up our series this morning in the book of Genesis, and uh, if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, we're going to be looking at chapters 48 through 50. Um, the, the word Genesis means uh, origins or beginnings, and so really we're not just wrapping up our... Um, this section of Genesis has been on the, on the life of Joseph, and we have talked all about the life of Joseph. Uh, and we are wrapping that up, but over the year plus, we have taken the book of Genesis in sections, and we've done a section of Genesis and then gone to a New Testament book, and we've come back. And so really this morning is a wrap-up, not just of the life of Joseph, but a wrap-up for us of the whole book of, of Genesis. So again, the Genesis itself means origins or beginnings, and so as we are looking to wrap up the entire book of Genesis... Um, we are talking about wrapping up, literally, the book of beginnings. In Genesis, we have the, the beginning of all creation, the beginning of humanity, uh, our beautiful start, and it was a beautiful start in the garden, and our terrible fall through the sin of Adam uh, and Eve. Now, as the writer of Genesis has traced the line, of Adam and Eve and their descendants, what we have seen again and again and again through the book of Genesis is the brokenness and sinfulness of humanity. So broken, in fact, that God would flood the earth, only saving Noah and his family. We talked about that a while back in the book of Genesis, uh, a new beginning in the book of beginnings, right? All, all of the world was wiped out except for Noah and his family, and Noah was righteous in the eyes of the Lord. Um, e even though that is true, we see after Noah the same results, uh, brokenness and sin in Noah and his own family and all the generations after him. As we went through the book of Genesis, uh, we came to the end of chapter 11, and we were introduced to Abram or Abraham. And at that point, the book of Genesis changes uh, its focus dramatically. In the opening verses of chapter 12, God approached Abram and made him a promise. And I want to read these verses in the beginning of uh, chapter 12. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you 
all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what God is saying to Abram is, trust me, trust me, Abram, and follow me to the place that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great. We'll come back to these in this, in this sermon, but I will bless you and make your name great. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God would restate those promises throughout the life of Abram, uh, who would become Abraham several times. He promised Abraham a specific land. I will give you this land. Um, and he promised him descendants, descendants too many to count. He, he says like the, the sand on the seashore. And he also promises Abraham that not only would he be blessed and his family be blessed, but through him and through them, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. So we tracked, as we went through, again, the book of Genesis, the lives of the patriarchs from uh, Genesis 12 until now. Abraham would have a son, Isaac, and Abraham would, would pass on, really not Abraham, but God would pass on the promises that he made Abraham to his son, Isaac. And Isaac would have sons, and those promises would be passed on to his son, Jacob. Now, we read about that even last week as a reminder in Genesis 28, these promises being passed on. Genesis 28, verse 13 and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, speaking to Jacob, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. So Jacob would later have 12 sons. One of those 12 sons was Joseph, and that's the story that we have been reading, the life of Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his uh, 11 brothers who were very bitter toward him and jealous. After years of suffering as a slave and then being thrown in prison, God moved Joseph to the second in command of all of Egypt. Uh, a famine came to the land, and, and that famine brought Joseph's brothers to Egypt for food. A after revealing himself to his brothers, Joseph then would bring his entire family to live with him in Egypt. And it was in this coming, Jacob's coming to Egypt, that God would remind Jacob, now an old man, of the promises that he had made earlier to him. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you a great nation. All of these promises so important. There I will make you a great nation. I myself will go, go with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. So we talked about those verses last week and those reminders of his promises to Jacob. And that's where we pick up this morning. In chapters 48 and into 49, we see Jacob's death. 
Now, I won't read all of these verses this morning, um, but in 48 and 49, um, we, we see Joseph hearing that his father is ill, and then what follows is Jacob, a dying father, blessing his sons. Uh, a, di- a dying father's blessings. Now, it was um, culturally, contextually, when, when a father would grow old and he was nearing death, he would speak a blessing over whatever son, over all of his sons, um, and usually in their birth order, who received what? Sort of like a last will and testament for us. But he would speak this blessing over his sons. Here, and as we've seen through the book of Genesis, more than just passing on his property to his sons and speaking a blessing in general over them, um, what we've seen in Genesis and, and here as well is Jacob speaking prophetically over his sons. Prophetically, he is saying, here is, what, here is what your blessings are, here is what your blessings will be, and he is, he is, he is prophesying over his sons. But more than just a, a prophetic blessing over his sons, he was speaking this prophecy over all of Israel, like this is what will happen in the future of the nation of Israel. So Joseph, hearing that his father has grown ill, brings his sons in to see his father. Jacob adopts Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's sons, um, and, and he adopts them as his own sons. And he speaks a blessing over over those two sons. And what we see is him giving the blessing of Reuben and Simeon, who should have received a blessing from Jacob, right? Their, their actual father. He gives their blessing to Joseph's sons because in behavior earlier in their life, they lost their blessing, right? So he, he still speaks to them, but he gives their blessing to Joseph's sons. After he speaks this blessing to Joseph's sons, he brings all of his sons in, and he speaks a blessing over them as well. And verse 28 of chapter 49 reads, all these, speaking of his sons, all of these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Those 12 sons of Jacob would become the patriarchs for the nation of Israel. And so 400 years later, when God's people are set free from bondage, uh, ultimately making their way to the promised land, taking the land that God had promised to them, the land would be divided up into 12 tribes. And those 12 tribes were named for these 12 sons. So rather than, as we've seen earlier in the book of Genesis, rather than a father blessing one son, right, and not blessing the other son, um, like Isaac received Abraham's blessing and Jacob received Isaac's blessing, here all 12 of the sons in some way are blessed. And the promises of God, this this is sort of a change in what we've seen in the book of Genesis. The promises of God are no longer passed on to one son. They're passed on to the 12 tribes, which I think is a pretty amazing thing. 
The promises that God is making of blessing, the promise that God is making of a land is now being passed down to all 12 um, of, of Jacob's sons. So here we have a dying father's blessings on his sons. We see one other thing from Jacob before he dies, and that is his last request, the dying father's last request. Verse 29, then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre, to the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. So what he's saying is, sons, don't leave me here. I I am dying. Here are the blessings. Do not leave me here in the land of Egypt. I want to go to the land of my fathers. Bury me there in the land of Abraham. Bury me in the place that Abraham and Sarah are buried, Isaac and Rebekah. Bury me where I have buried Leah. When Jacob finished, verse 33, when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. So there is his dying request. Don't leave me here in Egypt. Chapter 50, verse 1. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die in my tomb that I have hewed out myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father as he has made you swear. So Joseph went up to to bury his father. With him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household and the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizraim. It is beyond the Jordan. Okay. A lot of verses, I know, but here, what we see, and I think it's absolutely amazing, um, we see Jacob being honored, a father being honored. Uh, Joseph fell on his father's neck when he died. Uh, Jacob was embalmed. They had Jacob embalmed. And then it says that the Egyptians wept for him for 70 days. The Egyptians wept for him for 70 days. This was a mourning period that the nation set aside. 
outside. You know, when things happen in the United States and we lower the flag and we have times of silence and mourning, that's what Egypt was doing. They were doing that for Jacob as if Jacob himself were royalty. What is so amazing to me is that before the famine, before Joseph revealed himself and had his family move back to Egypt, God had promised that he would make Jacob's name great. But when he was in the land of his people, in the land of Canaan, he was virtually unknown. No one knew who he was. He raised his family. They had herds and flocks. And now they've moved to Egypt where they are growing and multiplying. And God is blessing them, blessing them with the goods of Egypt, making his name famous even in Egypt. God is fulfilling his promise, making Jacob's name great. Jacob's name great in a land that was not his own. So Pharaoh says yes to having the father buried on his own land. On top of that, Pharaoh sent an entire funeral procession with them, a host of dignitaries from, from Egypt. Pharaoh sent his own servants. It says that Pharaoh sent all the elders from his own household. In fact, all of the elders, all of the wise men in the land of Egypt all went as a part of this funeral procession. Pharaoh sent chariots and horsemen. This funeral was so great that when the people in the, in the land of Canaan saw it and they had no idea what was going on, they knew it was the Egyptians. They saw all of the procession, everything that was going on, and they said, this is a very grievous morning. For the, for the land of Egypt. Isn't that incredible? God fulfilling his promise. Here he is being honored, honored as if he were one of the kings of Egypt, Jacob. And there with the honor of all of Egypt in his burial, Jacob's sons bury their father and they bury him with his own people. Now, more, I, I want to pause here to see how these final chapters, God is, is fulfilling even more of his promises. Abraham, we read from chapter 12, Abraham, follow me and go to the land that I will show you, and I will give you that land as your own. Abraham, go where I tell you, believe me, trust me, follow me, and I will give you a land. I will give you a people. I will bless you, Abraham, and in you and through you, all of the world will be blessed. As we've already said, Abraham, that promise was passed from Abraham to his son Isaac and from Isaac to Jacob, God himself passing the promises on to them. And look here in these verses already the blessing of God. God closing out the book of beginnings, closing out this chapter of Genesis, fulfilling the promises that he made to the patriarchs. Jacob is held in honor, in honor as if he was royalty by the most powerful nation in that part of the world. Jacob lived his last days on the fat of the best land in all of Egypt. 
Jacob came to Egypt, his own, his own children and their families, and Joseph and his children totaled 70 people. And we don't know how many there were at this point, but all of these years later, we are told that, that the whole family and, and their flocks and their herd had been blessed, and they were fruitful and multiplied. And, and, and here, Jacob also is being buried, not in the land of Egypt, but buried with his fathers, buried on a portion of land, that portion of land that God had promised all those years earlier to Abraham. Just as God had promised to Jacob, Jacob, I am with you. Remember that promise. I think this is so beautiful. Jacob, I am with you. I will not leave you, Jacob. And no matter where you go, God told him, no matter where you go, I will bring you home. Oh, that's what God was doing. Bringing Jacob home. Bringing Jacob to the land that he promised him. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. And no matter where you go and no matter what happens, I will bring you home. Incredible. And there's more. We also see after Jacob's death something incredible, and that is Joseph's forgiveness. So chapter 50, beginning in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear. Am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Man, these verses are so, so rich. Joseph's brothers were rightly fearful. They should be fearful. I mean, they, they, they sold a 17-year-old brother into slavery. His life had been filled with suffering following that. Maybe they think Joseph was just being nice because our father was alive and with us, and they were being, he was being nice to us because of our father. Now with our father dead, Joseph will take revenge on us. So they send a note. They send a note saying, hey, I, I, one of dad's last requests was that you forgive your brothers for what they did. And then they come as well and they bow down before Joseph and they say, make us your servants, make us your slaves. As we made you a slave, Joseph, you make us slaves. Just don't kill us. Joseph wept wept at their words and wept at their fears. And Joseph responded, my brothers, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Am, am I in the place of God? It, it isn't up to me to bring harm to you or to punish you. Don't fear. And, and, and this, this part, what, what you meant for evil to me, God meant for good. 
While your hearts were set on evil toward me, God meant all of it, all of it for good, for my good, even for your good. And he adds, for the good of many who would be kept alive as they are today. Listen to me and don't miss this. Joseph could genuinely forgive his brothers because he truly believed that. That's why Joseph was able to forgive his brothers and offer them comfort and promise to provide for them and all of their offspring because because he truly believed that about God. He wholeheartedly believed that God was in all of it from the start. God was in it from the start. He saw that God was doing amazing things even through their evil intentions, even through their evil acts, even through, through his suffering. His trust was, 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 was wholeheartedly in God. His identity in all of this was in God. The hope that he had for himself and for his future, it had been and it remained completely in God. So he could say, my brothers, don't fear. My brothers, don't fear. Not only will I not make you my slaves or enact some kind of terrible revenge on you, I will take care of you and I will provide for all of your little ones. And Joseph comforted his brothers. We talk a lot about this at New City, and I want you to hear it today. What we truly believe leads to what we do. What we truly believe about who God is and what he's done, what we truly believe about ourselves, that's what leads to our actions. When we act wrongly, it isn't because we are, are weak people who lack discipline, first and foremost. First and foremost, it is because we misbelieve and disbelieve about who God is and what he has done. Joseph believed, no matter what his circumstances were, Joseph believed God. Joseph believed the promises of God. Joseph believed that God was God and he was not. Joseph believed that his brothers did not act outside of the gracious and the good hand of God. Hear me on that. I am not saying that, 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 that Joseph believed that God was evil and did evil. I, I am saying that God or, or that Joseph believed wholeheartedly, fully, that no matter what his brothers did or had done, God was working all things together for good. He believed that he was in God's good and sovereign and gracious hand. And because he believed that, Because he believed there was nothing that his brothers could do to hinder God's plans, then he believed it wasn't up to him to punish his brothers. Joseph believed that God would handle that. If there was any punishment to be dealt out, it wasn't Joseph's to do, it was God's. He trusted God, he believed God in all of it. And it was because of that trust, it was because he believed in God, it was because he believed who God was and what God was doing, it was because of that belief, that faith that Joseph could forgive. Incredible. The same is true for us. We harbor unforgiveness, it turns to bitterness. Because we don't believe who God is. 
Because we don't believe that God is handling it. Because we don't believe that God is just, that God is loving, and God is kind. Joseph believed all of that, no matter what his circumstances were. So it was easy for Joseph to say, and what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God meant it for my good, he meant it for your good, and he meant it for the good of all of these people who might not be alive if not for this. Beautiful. All of this too, right, is is connected to Jacob's blessing and those promises, right? The blessings going all the way back to Abraham in chapter chapter 12, going going backwards to chapter 12 and going forward to, to the day 400 plus years later when Israel would become a nation. All of this is connected to what we just talked about with Joseph. There was peace between Joseph and his brothers. And because of that peace, 12 12 of of his brothers and all of their children, because, because of that peace, they would all come back to live on the fat of Egypt's land. And they would continue to be blessed above and beyond all of the other Egyptians, right? They and their herds and their flocks would continue to multiply. They would be fruitful and multiply. So much so that when you turn the page to the book of Exodus, you see that the Egyptians grew fearful because of the number of Hebrews. God would continue to bless them. And this people would grow to be so numerous that the Egyptians were, were, were fearful of them. And when they were finally set free and went to the promised land, they would become the 12 tribes of Israel. They would become a people too numerous to count. They would become a people like the dust of the earth and the stars of the sky, just as God had promised. Too many to count. And all of that because Joseph forgave. And there was peace with his brothers. Do you see that connection? And then we read the closing verses. Also amazing. Verse 22, so Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. The book of Genesis closes there with yet another death, right? In the beginning of Genesis, God said, Don't eat the fruit of this one tree. In the day that you do, you will surely die. Sin entered into the world. It was, it was the fall. Sin was passed on from generation to generation. And throughout the book of Genesis, you, you read, And he died, and he died, and he died. And how fitting that the book of Genesis ends with the death of Joseph. And he died. 
But it doesn't just end with death. It ends with an incredible promise, a promise from God, God's promise to and through Joseph. Joseph made his family swear to him as he was dying, don't leave me here. When the time comes, carry my bones from here. Joseph knew as well Egypt was not his home. As as much as he had been blessed there, Egypt was not his home. Promise me when I am gone, you will bury me with my fathers. Promise me you will take me home, he is asking. And what is so incredible about that, and, and, and I love it, is that when we come to the book of Exodus, after 400 years in Egypt, Moses would do just that. Moses would carry the bones of Joseph to the land that God had promised. Isn't he faithful? I mean, man, how do you not see how faithful our God is? Joseph, I am with you. And I will be with you. And he was. But there's something else that we see about the faithfulness of God, about his sovereign hand, even in the slavery, as it was with Joseph, even in the slavery that would follow those days for 400 years with God's people. Twice in these last verses, as Joseph prepares to die, he shares God's promise. Verse 24, and Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Do you see it in verse 24? I am about to die, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid as I am dying. Don't worry about what it is that you are supposed to do. God will come for you. God will come for you. He will visit you and he will bring you up out of this land and he will take you home as well. And then in verse 25, he is surely coming. He is surely coming for you. I know it, Joseph is saying. It is a promise. I know it because he has promised it. I know it because he is faithful and true. I know it. Surely he is coming. And when he does, when he comes for you, you take my bones with you. And we will go home together. Man, that is so beautiful. Last week after our service, I got a message from someone, and, and, and he said that one of the things that he had wondered often as he read the story of, of Genesis and Joseph, he wondered why Jacob's descendants would stay in Egypt. Why did they stay so long in Egypt? Why didn't they leave earlier and just go back to their land? And, and, and he said, I see now there was good reason. They were fruitful and they were multiplying and they were growing and they were living in the blessings of God. And all of that is true but there was also that promise it was the promise of God to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Joseph and now to all of their offspring I will not leave you 
I will not leave you. I am with you. And when the time is right, God said, I will come to deliver you. I will come to free you from this place to take you to the land that I have promised. I will come back for you. And I will take you home. God was faithfully fulfilling his promises, and he was not finished. This is the beginning of Israel, the nation of Israel, but it is more than that. It is God making for himself a people. Is God making for himself a people from all the peoples of the earth? It is God making for himself the people, the people that he lost in the garden when sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve. This isn't just the story of Israel. This is our story. And man, it is beautiful. More than, more than our story, this is our God. This is our God, the God, the God who is more than able. The God who is always faithful and always true. The God who will fulfill every promise that he's ever made. The God who will not leave his people, nor will he ever forsake them. This is the story of the God who walks with his people even in their slavery and suffering. This is the God who works even our suffering together for good. This is the God who weaves together all of the days and years and generations even to to bring about his good and gracious purposes and all of his promises this is the story of the God who promised he would be back the God who promised that he would bring his people home and the God who did just that providing a Moses 400 years later who would come knocking on Pharaoh's door and say it's time to set God's people free a Moses who incredibly 400 plus years later would remember the promise of Joseph's brothers and carry Joseph home This is the story of God, God who would, who would bless all of the world through the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is the story of the God who would fulfill Jacob's prophetic blessings spoken over his sons. And particularly, I, I love the blessing spoken over Judah. Chapter 49, verse 8, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the people's. Do you know who that is ultimately about? One day, one day all of the world will bow before the lion of the tribe of Judah. 
and the scepter and the ruler's staff are his forever and ever and ever. And he will come, and when he comes, he will judge his enemies, and he will establish his kingdom forever. He is coming again, the Lion of Judah, and his name is Jesus. He is the Lamb who has taken away the sins of his people. All who trust in him, his life given for ours, his death instead of ours, his resurrection, the ultimate defeat of death and sin and Satan. He would die the lamb, but he was raised the lion. And just as God promised his people through, through Joseph, one day he is coming. One day he is coming to rescue his people just like Moses did, only better. Our king will come, the lion of Judah, and he will save us from our bondage and from our pain and our suffering, and he will take us home. He will, because he is the God who is faithful and true. What do we do with the story of Joseph? What do we do with the book of Genesis? Believe. Believe. He is God. Believe him. Trust him. Hold on to him like Joseph held on to him. Hold on to him like Joseph held on to him, and he will show you. He will show you that he can be trusted. He will show you that he is mighty. He will show you that he is able, and he will show you again and again and again that he is faithful. Hold on to him let's pray father thank you for this story thank you for these promises thank you that you are a god who's faithful and true a god who loves his people and provides for them Thank you for all these reminders, I pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would remind us, remind us again and again that our Father is faithful and true, that he is, he is able and powerful, that he will never leave us and never forsake us. Holy Spirit, remind us, no matter what, our good and gracious Father is working all things together for good. Remind us. of the Lion of the tribe of Judah who came as a lamb to save us. Remind us that when he returns, he will return to defeat his enemies and take us home. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.